Welcome back to They Talk Sex podcast. I'm your host, Elle Stanger. We are going to talk about jealousy and relationships today with Dr. Jolie Hamilton. You can find Dr. Jolie Hamilton on her website, which is her name, J-O-L-I-H-A-M-I-L-T-O-N.com, and then on Instagram.com forward slash Dr. Jolie underscore Hamilton. Uh, so you wrote a book called Project Relationship, yes? I did. I did because I, well, everything's relationship. So when I start, when I set out to write a new book, I was like, it. I have to start here. Relationship is everything for me. Mm-hmm. It's really everything for all of us because that whole like no man is an island thing. I mean, even solitary people will have to navigate some types of relationships. But for those of us that are specifically invested in being, well, your book is focused on entrepreneurs and how to make their relationships work despite being really successful, correct? It is. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think I aimed it that way because my in my experience, so many of us are entrepreneurs and we don't even necessarily recognize that. Entrepreneur just means someone who gets things done. And I know a lot of people who get a lot of good stuff done in their life but who forget to transfer their skills, their awesome work skills into the rest of their life. So they can be like totally crushing things and then showing up in their relationship half-assed and that just does not work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit background about you. So you, in the beginning of the book, you said you were, you like, you lost your shit and spilled a bunch of, was it macaroni? Oh, it was eggs. It, it was, was a egg. nice full dozen eggs on of your eggs. Shoes. Yeah. Right. You were trying to get the seven kids in the car and your husband's like kind of taking his time. Yeah, leisurely coming out. You got the water bottles, hon? And you realized you were just carrying too much stuff. You were trying to build your business and run a family. So this book has arrived at a good time for me. Um, And then also a little bit about you. You got your doctoral degree at Pacifica Graduate Institute in depth psychology. You want to tell us what your specialization is in? Yeah. So I specialized in Jungian and archetypal psychology. So what it means is I take the unconscious and all that stuff that sits in the shadows really, really seriously. And I then subspecialized in sexuality research because I was already a certified sexuality educator. So I thought, what the hell? I'm going to tie all these things together. Mm -hmm. And that's how we met. And so you're also a professor of psychology and faculty at the Institute for Sexuality, Education, and Enlightenment, which that's instituteforsexuality.com. That's where I went through my training and yours, some of us. Right. Yeah. And then you also teach intimacy and communication skills, kink and BDSM. So we won't get to talk about all of these things, but this episode will focus on jealousy and relationships. You're also, how do you identify? Are you poly or non-monogs? We are currently identifying as poly um, because right now we're really into practicing that kitchen table style. Like let's all get to know each other again. Sometimes more just non-monog and, you know, just doing our thing, but. Honestly, post-COVID, I am loving building relationships again. Mm, that's so true. Yeah. So before we get deeper into jealousy, what do you think, how would you explain the common differences between some of the open relationship styles? Because mm. these questions are going to come up because people are trying to build their own. So we got swinging, consensual oh, yeah. non-monogamy, polyamory, uh what is it? Relationship anarchy? Sure. Sure. What else? And then you have just like that general open relating. I'm seeing that used more and more. Just people who are saying they're kind of not fixed. They're not like settled down into what that's going to be. It's just sort of not what they grew up with. Mm, I like that. Yeah. I'm finding that more and more people are getting creative with how they name their relationship style, which makes me really happy. Because when I was first exploring non-monogamy, you know, it it really felt like there was just swinging, you know, which was the way it was presented to me was this is all about sex. There can't be any emotions. Yes. Now, okay. So people who, people who don't know. Okay. So swinging, a lot of times you see a hetero couple that might be married or otherwise monogamous, monogamish, but they'll go to like maybe parties where they'll, they'll trade with their friends. I have a lot of swinger friends. They'll go yeah. to like events or meetups or parties and they'll engage in like partner swapping or group stuff. And it tends to be 
a lot of agreements for a lot of people. So yeah. like, like, oh, you can fuck this person, but don't kiss them. <laughs> that is the one. That's the one that actually got me to realize I needed to know more. This was a dozen years ago now. And I realized, oh, I really need to head to the books on this because the idea that I could fuck somebody but not kiss them just blew my mind. I was mm -hmm. like, what is happening right now? Mm -hmm. I found that that differentiation also informed me like, oh, so I'm going to need something else because the the claim, the, like all those rules that were designed in, in swinging, um, the way it's practiced in my area, commonly at least, those rules don't really protect you the way mm -hmm. that you wish they would. Mm -hmm. So I needed to know more about what else was out there in order to pick something, pick a relationship style that was actually going to work for me. Mm -hmm. And when you say protect you, you mean like your emotions, your heart, your jealousy, right? Exactly. And from jealousy in particular. So a lot of times people are talking about protection as in they want to protect the sort of sanctity of their couplehood. And I, I'm game. I get the idea. Like it, it I am super attached to my current partner. Um, mm. And he is definitely like my primary attachment figure too. So I do get the idea of wanting to protect that bond. And yet it's the emotions that most people are building their rules and regulations around. And what I found is that unfortunately, rules tend to actually stop us from having the conversations we need to have, the ongoing conversations about what we actually want and need because mm -hmm. we think that the rules are covering our asses. Mm -hmm. And we'll get into that with some listener questions too. So sure. we kind of went over swinging. Um, we're calling consensual non-monogamy that instead of ethical non-monogamy these days, some of us. And do you want to explain why? Yeah. So I switched over. Um, one, uh, the connotation of of ethical means that like people who aren't doing ethical non-monogamy might not be being ethical. So that's problematic. But also mm. because the APA finally approved a division for the study and, and understanding of consensual non-monogamy. And because, <laughs> because that's my world, my field, I'm just thrilled that they've allowed space for that discussion. So I'm game to, to get on board with using that term so that we're all coming to a collective understanding of what we mean when we say consensual non-monogamy. Because mm -hmm. the idea with consensual is that if you're engaging, you are aware it's non-monogamy. Exactly. So, yeah. So this implies to like, if you're engaging with other people, you'll all be consenting to it. Whereas ethical can be such a vague term because ethics totally. are different to everybody. Right. And some people then confuse ethics with morality. Now we get into Ooh. a whole ball of wax. We don't, you like, that is messy because people can do all sorts of truly horrifying things that they have decided fit into their their morals mm -hmm. and so yeah i consensual do, does work really well because you're talking about informed consent mm -hmm. i think people still go to ethical non-monogamy is the term because of like janet hardy's ethical slut which was sure. a groundbreaking book but in terms of when i see people identifying as enm i'm like oh yeah you're new. <laughs> That's it. And in my own dissertation, I wrote about ENM because it was still like in the literature, it was like 50-50 split. And I only wrote that a couple years ago. Wow. And still now I'm like, oh, I wish I could go back and edit that. Yeah, things Such is life. change That's fast. The thing. <laughs> totally. And that's important when we look at research, writing, art in the context of what was going on at the time. Exactly. Well, right. I mean, I study Jungian psychology. Carl Jung is an old white guy, early 20th century European. Mm -hmm. I build a lot of my work off of that, but I have to junk a lot of it too. It's important that we contextualize whatever we're, we're talking about mm -hmm. and then build something better. Mm -hmm. And then, so polyamory is the last one. And so that means to love many. And of course that can also look different for all kinds of people. Um, and that comes to mind, that makes me think of having like maybe different co-nesting mates. Yeah or blended families. Can I ask what your family structure currently looks like? Yeah, sure. So I currently live with my partner who I am married to. I cannot believe we got married, but we did. We got married seven years ago, seven, eight years ago now. <laughs> How long have you been um, together? Uh, 12 years, but I've known him my whole life. He literally knew me when I was a baby. Um, he was oh. my, my oldest cousin's best friend. So he kicked around my life until all of a sudden one day we were on a dance floor, both of us married to other people. We had just like a moment and that was it. Wow. Like the cataclysmic moment. Wow. Wound up in a triad with his wife and it was fine for a while, but it didn't last. And there's the thing about polyamory. It does open or any consensual non-monogamy. It does sort of open 
the door to the things that you right now might not imagine if you're in monogamy. So mm. I didn't know exactly what I was getting into, but how it's wound up is, um, so she moved out quite a while ago now, a decade ago. And since then we've practiced, I think every single form of uh, <laughs> ethical or co consensual and relationship, we've tried them all. We tried all of them. And where, where we landed was on kitchen table polyam because I love building relationships. And so right now I have a girlfriend who lives, oh, maybe 30 minutes away. And mm. I have then some comet people. And those are interesting people because those are people who they they're like that old friend from college who like you can you can just pick things up where mm. you left off, even though you might not see each other for years or or it might just be weeks. And I have some of those people in my life. And I find that those relationships can actually be some of the most stabilizing of my whole world because they are they're about our coming together, our relating in the moment as we are without the pressure to actually stay in constant contact. So it's an interesting way of maintaining relating without lots of rules and stuff. I love that. I'm thinking of one person in particular uh, who fits that for me very well. And after my beloved partner died by suicide, like I leaned on that person. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So you called them comet people, like they're in your orbit. Yeah, like they like you know how H Haley's comet like comes by every seventy six years, like that, like that. Although seventy six years is too long for me, I'm gonna need you to show up at least every four or five. <laughs> oh my god, I love that. Well, I have something new to tell my friend. Um, so the book is called Project Relationship: The Entrepreneur's Action Plan for Passionate, Sustainable Love. Yeah, I just started that book. That book is gonna be very helpful to me. I will say the only thing that um, isn't of use to me at this time is I'm not currently in a committed mm -hmm. partnership and it's good for people who are, but as a person who's starting to re-enter, it's going to be very helpful for me to try to like build my toolkit. Yeah. It's been interesting to me after I released it, I noticed that a large part of the feedback I was getting was from people who were actually in between relationships and who mm. had noticed that they didn't want to do the same thing again. And so they took really seriously, and I wrote the book intentionally this way, each chapter has an action step and you can take the action step whether your partner is willing to participate or not. Some of mm -hmm. them are more, it's more advantageous if you can practice it with a partner. Um, like in the sex chapter, it's helpful, but you, could ha you can do every single action step on your own. And the feedback I've gotten is that that is the catalyst for a lot of people to be able to start a relationship in a new place rather than picking up for, with a new person as if they are in the same relationship they've had their whole adult life, which is what so many of us do accidentally. Hmm. So let's explore some things. Um, you have a TEDx talk and I was sitting next to um, a family member of mine actually who is dating for the first time in a long time. And so I was going through the video and they were on their phone at that time having like all day, they were having like a text argument with the person they're dating. And it related to, it was a jealousy thing they were fighting over. <laughs> yep. Well, yeah. And so they perked up quite a bit, but here's some, some notes that I made that really struck me. You say, you say a lot, but here's some that really struck me. Uh, jealousy is normal. People feel it on a spectrum. Yeah. Jealousy, yeah. people forget that not, that jealousy is normal because it's so intense for a lot of us. But if we remember that jealousy served a purpose and it's there for a reason um, and that it's okay if it's intense or if it's low key for you. Um, usually the problem comes when people feel it differently from their partner and we, mm. we don't communicate well about how it feels differently for us. Ooh. Okay. So before we move on, what purposes does jealousy serve? Some might ask. Okay. Jealousy. Researchers can spot jealousy in infants as early as six months old. It oh served my. a primal purpose to connect you to your caregiver. So you're an infant. You have no way of taking care of yourself. You need someone to do the things for you. So you cry when you feel like your bond with your caregiver is interrupted. Wow. Yeah. Nice and simple, right? And it, so as we grow, we age, we hopefully transfer some of that delightful part of the attachment energy to a partner, um, hopefully some of it to ourselves as well. Um, but as we do that now, if we experience an interruption to our love bond, 
in that same primal way, yeah, it sends us into total survival mode. Mm-hmm. Some Scary. nasty yeah. stuff could happen. Totally. And that makes sense why people want to like eliminate the competition or hurt the other parties involved. Yes, exactly. Like, exactly. And th- it's really important here to differentiate. Jealousy and envy aren't the same thing. Jealousy involves three people. So there's there's you, the love, and the interrupter or the perceived interrupter because we can just imagine one. There doesn't need to be a real objective person. It can be an imagined person. It mm-hmm. can be an Instagram photo. Doesn't matter. <laughs> But envy is when I want to be like someone. So it's just Mm. two people. And I like to pull these apart because while we can work with them similarly, if we tease it apart and and remember that jealousy is about three people, we can remember to reclaim our energy to work on jealousy because it's ours to work with. So I like all of that. Uh, Obviously, that's why I have you on. and and these are things that all of these resonated for me too because I've been through a bunch of different relationship styles too. I've had unhealthy monogamous, I've had healthy monogamous, but stuff that left me itching because I don't want to be monogamous, you know. Oh yeah. I've had open, um we've had Yeah, I've done some things in my different marriages and and now I'm I tr- try to think the other day because those of you who know me know that I was in a relationship for four years and four months and my partner died by suicide. And so I'm suddenly, I'm like, ah, oh, I feel like I'm still in a relationship, but they're not here. So am I single? Mm. <laughs> what am I? So, but now I'm like starting to relearn these things. Um, oh, everyone hear me choking up. So as I start dating again, it's interesting because I felt so secure with my partner that I didn't really experience a lot of jealousy. And so being open was more easy for me. But now that I'm starting to interact with other people who I don't feel like a secure bond with because you're getting to know them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very interesting. So this is a good time for me and a good time for a lot of our listeners, I'm sure. I think you're bringing something really interesting into the room, Al, too, which is how do you identify your relationship style when you're in that in-between space, when you're, when you're mm. not actively creating your relating with a person who can, can co-create with you. Now, what mm. do I do with that? Um, it, it can be a bit of a mind fuck really to mm. like, am, I mean, we just lived through a year and a half of COVID where lots of people who consider themselves open had decided to, for all intents and purposes, close. True. So I think a lot of us are struggling right now to figure out what the what we're going to do. And the kind of grief that you've gone through, you're, mm-hmm. you have now another layer of this consistent, like trying to form new attachments is a huge, huge task. And mm-hmm. you got to take your time with that in your mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. And that's why we invest and that's why we're here. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> Uh, exploring jealousy is tricky because people often don't want to admit they're feeling it is something else you said in your TEDx talk. Oh yeah. So I did not expect to find this. When I did my research, I was exploring how people identified that they were feeling jealous at all. And one of the closer feelings tied to jealousy for many of my respondents was shame. They felt mm. bad about feeling jealous because, well, for two reasons. One, some of them just felt like they should be a quote unquote good poly person. Like they should just somehow transcend. Be okay with everything. Yep, just be okay with everything. Transcend jealousy as if jealousy isn't, um, is something to be killed or cured or crushed and just move past it. But then the other thing was they many people were raised in families where if jealousy was demonstrated, in other words, they didn't want to share something or they lashed out at a sibling, they were punished. And so they just got one of those little core shame memories going on. Mm. And so then we can detach from the early signals that we get like, oh, hey, jealousy is a great warning light, right? It's a great warning light. So it tells us, I care about this person. And if we can detect that early, then we can do something to to actually encourage the the bonding, even if there are other relationships going on. But if we wait, if we don't detect jealousy because we're feeling ashamed of it, then it can grow and fester and it becomes monstrous Mm -hmm. before we've ever even acknowledged it to ourselves or our partners. And this is Mm -hmm. where jealousy can get violent and controlling, manipulative, and really Mm -hmm. dark. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, resentment can hurt a lot of relationships. Mm-hmm. So let's see. You say, what do we do when jealousy shows up? If we have tied jealousy to shame, we might not even notice we are feeling it. Yeah. So if you don't right now know what jealousy feels like in your body, I want to invite everybody to just tune in, tune into their body and actually start to identify the sensations of jealousy as early as possible. So the next time you notice yourself saying, oh, I'm just jealous, that, that that's your cue. Tune in. Where is it in your body? For me, I got these little electrical flares that go off behind my ears. Mm. And when I notice that, I'm like, ooh, okay, game on. I need to bring my skills of how, like, what, what are my steps? What do I do with this? Rather than push myself into the shame corner and say, you're a bad person. You should be better than this. You've studied this a long time. You should know how to do this. Shame doesn't help anyone relate. Sure doesn't. So what are some of your body's cues for feeling jealousy? You said uh, electric shocks behind your ears kind of. I get a really tight chest mm-hmm. and I get burning in my ears and uh, tightness in my shoulders. Yep. Yep. I also get a lot of people report um, a swirling stomach sensation like um, like mm. like they're tied up in knots or a heaviness. A heaviness like deep down in their pelvis, like weighting them down. Mm, I can see that. Yeah. But it's different for everyone. So the key, the key is to figure out what are your early cues? Because once you identify them, now you can do something. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. So let's take a break. We'll be right back. Email your questions to me, theytalksex at protonmail.com. And check out Dr. Jolie Hamilton on Instagram, Dr. Jolie underscore Hamilton. Ioba Toys is the creator of the super silent sex toys, the Oh My G and the Oh My C. The Oh My G is a G-spot massager with three intensity levels, a massaging pearl, and a unique C-shape made to precisely hit the G-spot. The Oh My C is a clitoral massager with a rotating massaging pearl that mimics a tongue or fingers, also known as oral sex, and it fits in the palm of your hand. Both toys are super silent and come in pink or white. Try code L30 for 30% off on iobatoys.com. Do you have sex questions? Do you want help learning new techniques, communicating with a partner, opening a relationship, or exploring kink? Sex and intimacy coach Stella Harris can help. Book a session now to take your intimate life to the next level. Listeners of this podcast receive 20% off their first session with code TTS. Learn more and schedule at www.stellaharris.net or follow her on Instagram at Stella Harris Erotica. Welcome back to They Talk Sex podcast. I'm your host, Elle Stanger. Please rate and or review us on your listening app. That will help more people find us and spread the good word. You can find me on lstanger.com. And right now we are talking to Dr. Jolie Hamilton about jealousy and relationships. Visit her website, joliehamilton.com. And so now let's do some listener questions. Oh boy. So I, I sourced my online audiences as I do for these questions and I got a lot of people being like okay so my person's doing this and I'm like no 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 (laughs) I can't go into your specific relationship but there was my point is there was a lot of feedback and a lot of people who have questions about dealing with jealousy so I tried to pick some broader questions that might be helpful for as many people as possible yeah so listener question one how do you suggest raising the topic of non-monogamy or openness to your partner? Yeah, I think that this is a great question because it it is already showing that you're caring. So first off, give yourself credit. You care enough about how you bring it into the room that you can do this with some skill. A lot of people just sort of start dropping hints. I don't <laughs> recommend that route. Don't just start dropping hints. First off, not everybody gets hints. Second, it's yeah. not an effective communication strategy, even if they do. So Mm -hmm. if you want to shift your relationship style, I strongly suggest that you start looking at what your relationship style is now. What are your current relationship agreements? What are you doing? Because most people who are using monogamy as their template 
may already have some uh, some agreements that have wiggle room in them, or they may have no agreements at all. So mm-hmm. I like for people to take stock, take inventory first, start having conversations about where your relationship is, practice the kind of communication you're going to need to do when you're relating openly, practice it now in the relationship you have. Bring up mm-hmm. what's bugging you. Start talking about jealousy like a normal thing because it is. Start talking about what ha- what you do um, to make sure that you each have time to spend on your own without there being other people involved. Start disentangling yourselves just enough to feel what does it feel like to have my own space, my own time, and to not necessarily need to report every detail of my time to my partner. I mean, I think for me, the beginning of my understanding of myself as as open was that in my entire first marriage, which was monogamous, sort of default monogamy, we openly talked about finding other people attractive. And that was yes. great practice for yes. being for normalizing the fact that my partner still found people attractive who he wasn't married to. And that was fine. Which is normal, which normal. is actually how a lot of most people feel. You can yeah. see other folks and be like, oh, hello. Right. You're interesting to look at. Yeah. Or even just like the other thing was the, um, you know, when you make a connection with someone and you feel that 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 zing in you, like even if it's not yeah. a, a physical thing, you just feel it. Being able to share that feeling is it. That's such a a generative feeling in a relationship to be able to share that that zing. So yeah, I like to mm-hmm. practice it. Mm-hmm. I have a, a a strip club client man was telling me um, about his affair that he's having, and it, it it's really easy to make it sound tawdry and and to shame him. And I don't want to open it that way, but that's how he opened it. And then so he's telling me more. He's like, I've been married for thirty years. I love my wife, but the sex is just not there. He's like, and this other person I've known for like a decade and a half. And it's so strange to be so in love with two different people and them to not, you know, like know about each other all entirely. He's like, it would break my wife's heart, but I just, I didn't want to live the way she wanted to live for the rest of my life. So this is how I'm trying to take care of myself. And he said he tried to, um, he he was going to try to bring it up, like considering maybe they she would want to date someone too, because he wants her to be okay with it. So uh, I guess uh, Will Smith and Jada Smith, oh, right, and their right. So their kid Willow just came out. Was it Willow? Yeah, yep. Right. You know, well, maybe you can summarize better. Willow said they're non-monogamous. Was that it? Yeah, I I didn't actually hear because I I got all caught up in the fact that it had just it made the news as a blip. I was so excited that it was just a blip that somebody somebody famous <laughs> right. came out as non-monogamous and it just registered so fast. I I kind of missed the details. Right. So something like that happened, but it but it made a blip. And so apparently um, that's what he was like. Oh, did you hear about that? And his wife was like, I could never do that. That's just so weird. I just don't get it. And he's like, OK, she's not going to be down. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's how a lot of people test the waters. And that's why I say, like, I like to start people off talking about the relationship they are actually in, because the unspoken thing in that guy's life is that he has a need that's not being met. Mm-hmm. at home. And I, I think that we often forget that we aren't always giving our partners a chance to join us in the problem solving about our needs. Um, while it can be challenging to bring those things up, you know, now every year that goes by, right, he's deeper in it because now he's been mm-hmm. lying. And mm-hmm. for me, you know, lot, cheating can happen in polyamory, in non-monogamy, because for me, True. it's about the lying. I don't... True. I I don't care how many people he's sleeping with. That doesn't matter at all. But, ooh, there better not be lying. I need transparency. Exactly. Totally. Yeah, totally. And that's the other thing. Being non-monogamous or poly doesn't mean that you talk less about what you're doing. It usually means you talk more. Totally. Yeah. It's more about calendars and conversations than sex. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So listener question number two, how to deal if your poly partner dates someone you do not and will never like? Oh, this is a hard one. Okay. Yeah, L, I'm guessing that you have seen this before and it can play out bad. Yes. I've I've experienced this before but I was very fortunate in the way that like I I as the primary partner and I know that's sticky language for some people because they don't believe in hierarchies but 
in my situation, I, as the primary partner, had a lot of influence over saying, I'm not comfortable with this happening anymore. And that actually didn't tie into emotional jealousy, but that tied into, I think your partner's not being responsible with their sexual health. Yeah. So I got lucky with that. But people that have ongoing relationships for like months or years and they don't like their other person's partner, that seems really stressful. I have found it to be probably the biggest stressor other than other than somebody experiencing um, like a deep grief. Mm. The, the, the not getting along between metamors is what – when I see it in my office, that's the thing that leads people – it it leads you into this dark place of of not talking about stuff again. Like we often can't practice our best um, open relating habits around com- communication because we start hiding things when our partners don't get along. That's at least what I've seen walk through my doors. Mm-hmm. I recommend that you you start taking an inventory of what it is. You start looking at what it is that you don't get along about because. While I do not believe in veto power at all, so veto power Mm -hmm. would be people who are in a hierarchical relationship and they've decided um, that their partner is allowed to determine who they interact with. Like they they can Mm -hmm. veto somebody from from your life. I don't go for that because I think it it really undermines our autonomy. Um, Mm -hmm. It can be very hurtful. Really hurtful. And it it really objectifies a third party. And I've been in that position. I, yeah. I was in a, a relationship where I did not have any um, any say over how much connection I got to the person I was deeply in love with. So, Oof. yeah. I, I mean, that, that went on for tough. years. It was painful. Um, I, I say I would say I learned how to how to teach this stuff by doing everything wrong. <laughs> yes. Yes. Absolutely. Making mistakes. So this is why I right. write. I write them down. I write them down for myself so that later I can share about them. Mm-hmm. When I... When I see two metamors, though, so two two people who share a common lover, when I see them not getting along, one of the things I want to ask is, how much does this actually matter? Because if we're talking about, say, a comet, you know, if you're talking about somebody who comes in and out of your partner's life rarely, then I think that has a lot less, less impact. And now th- at that point, it can be about just calling yourself in and saying, okay, so my love has a friend who I don't enjoy but they really aren't interfering with my life. Maybe mm-hmm. I can let that go. And it's really helping my partner in yeah. whatever anchoring way it does. Right, exactly. And we don't have to we don't have to feel an equal amount of of joy and passion over people. That's okay. If it's somebody that is a day-to-day companion or even harder and I did this, if it's somebody who lives with you because you're in Oof. a a constellation, you know, a relationship constellation where you all live together and you don't get along. I think that it's really important to start figuring out how you're going to find a third party to to lend you a hand. I, I think that finding a, a, a consensual non-monogamy competent therapist or coach is a great idea at that point because you are, you're walking over hot coals every day mm-hmm. and it's just, it, it's emotionally exhausting it could be that there's stuff you can do with you. You Sometimes we just find somebody irritating. We just don't like them and we don't even know why, right? And it, So it could be that there's stuff you yeah. can do on your side of the street about it. Just dealing with that those feelings because we don't have to love everybody. We can love their humanity but not enjoy spending time with them. On the other hand, True. if you're not getting along with them because you feel that they are taking risks or they are harming your, your shared your common partner, or you feel like they're undermining your life in some way, um, or they're somehow interfering with, you know, your, the commitments that you've made to each other. Yeah, it's time to actively get in and practice the relationship skills. This is why I think it's really important that we have relationship agreements in place. I, mm-hmm. I write relationship agreements with my partners. Um, it's important to write them down. And I, I write them down in by hand and like sign off on them as I go so I can remind myself what I committed to. Because mm-hmm. it's often and me who's letting me down. Oh, I like that, that you say that. There's so much reflection going on then. That's so hard for us to do. It's not easy. But when you commit to something and then your inner child gets woken up and is like, wah. <laughs> <laughs> it's helpful for me to turn to my relationship agreement book and say, yeah, you know what? 
I said I was okay with them sleeping out of the house three nights a week. So what am I not doing to take care of myself? What am I expecting mm -hmm. my partner to do that's different? Like, look, there's my my words. I wrote them down. And mm -hmm. then I can access my my higher self, my better self. <laughs> and mm -hmm. and sometimes that just means, you know, planning my life better, turning, mm -hmm. turning toward myself again instead of looking to get every need met by someone else. It's like what you said earlier. Um about like jealousy serving a purpose. Oh, so yeah. for for what this brings up for me and I think for some of our listeners is um, when we have codependency issues, like we need the partner to be around or we don't feel okay, that's pretty tough because that person's become your crutch. Mm -hmm. So I really encourage people and you probably do too to have your own interests yes. and your own things driving you that you can care about. Absolutely. I, I think that one of the key lessons for me over COVID was realizing that um, even though I'd been practicing the habits of healthy relating, it is always possible to slip into a codependent pattern. Yet, like there we were working together, not really seeing anybody else, just spending all of this time. And so as things opened back up, I was like, oh, wow. It's not just me. Every client I'm seeing, everybody was having to face the those little habits of over-dependence on someone else to help me feel a certain way. Mm -hmm. Cool. The good news is that that's actionable. That's about bringing attention to, hey, how can I spend time with myself? How can I enjoy having outside interests? What new hobby do I want to pick up? Or what, are, which, what friends can I turn to who aren't part of this particular dynamic so that I can stop focusing on what my partner isn't giving me and start focusing on what I, what I need for myself. Mm -hmm. So listener question number three, this relates to all of this we're talking about. I've noticed that fear of abandonment is at the root of a lot of my jealousy. Do you have any thoughts on how to approach that? Oh yeah. Okay. So this question hits the nail exactly on the head. Jealousy is rooted in fear. You can't separate jealousy from fear entirely because jealousy is a complex emotion like that's what it's known as in in psychology meaning it's it's not so much a primal emotion but it's made of if you if you popped the hood off of jealousy you would see inside sadness and anger and grief and fear and shame and fear and fear somewhere there's fear because there's mm -hmm. this core fear of abandonment that's because it it really is from that it was it appears because we don't want to be abandoned. And so if you think about that logically, you think, okay, I have a fear of abandonment and it comes out as jealousy when I, use that as a center, like when I, when I experience what? When my partner um, is out for the evening, when my partner is looking at someone else, when my partner, sometimes it's happening out of nowhere nothing's happening. I just feel the fear of abandonment, like an existential weight on my soul. Ugh. <laughs> Heavy. <laughs> when Heavy that is sour. Yeah. I see it all the time though. When that's going on, our partner might be doing everything they've agreed to. They may not be turning their head one way or another. They may not, you may not even be experiencing the slightest actual impact, but the fear of abandonment can invent, the imagination is incredibly powerful. It can invent this interrupter quality. And now I'm terrified and I feel jealous. I could feel jealous just walking into a crowded room with my partner or just having them go to work. If that's the problem, the good news is it's a your side of the street problem. It's actually your jealousy is in you. The biggest problem most people have with jealousy is that they point their fingers outward and say, I need you to change this activity. I need you to change something now so that I feel differently. That gives away hmm. all the power and autonomy you have over your life. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, we want to have agreements about what goes on. So if my partner starts sleeping with somebody, doesn't tell me and isn't practicing all of the things that are in my relationship agreement with him about safer sex and about the amount of time and money that we spend outside of our house, Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. There are some real conversations to have. But if I am experiencing jealousy because he's on TikTok looking at somebody cute, 
that's a me thing. And I can work on that. <laughs> I can actively work on it. I could work on including myself in that to some degree. I could work on addressing my fears. I could work on my my phobias about what it means to be wantable. I could work on my own um, embodiment. There's so many places I could start with this. But the thing most people need is just remember that jealousy is a feeling you are having, not a feeling that someone else is making you have. This is this is the only time where I will say, unless your partner is purposely gaslighting you. Oh, yes. And, and weaponizing. And that's different. That's like, different. So, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the great big asterisk on this entire conversation is if your partner is gaslighting you, abusing you, manipulating you, if they are undermining your sense of self, none of this applies. At which point you need you need your own therapist, you need your own help, you need your own support system, someone to help you reclaim your sense of self enough so that you can stand on your own two feet again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because that's different. It, when we're talking like you and your partner, spouse, you two are both invested yeah. in being honest and having a positive, connective relationship. People who are not interested in this, it is legitimate when their partners feel jealousy. Um, yes. I said last night at the club, I love being a sex worker. Uh, it's first, a- sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes. Uh, but last night I was like, oh, so-and-so client is here, I say to the other girls. And uh, they're like, oh, yeah, but he's here with his girlfriend. And I'm like, I agree. I say, yeah, he's way less fun. He doesn't spend as much money. He doesn't talk to us as much. He won't tip as much. Yep. He, he'll buy drinks for people, but whatever. I'm not trying to get alcohol. I don't pay my bills with alcohol. None of us do. <laughs> anyway, and so one of the other dancers is like, oh, yeah, but he comes in with other women. I'm like, I know. And she knows that, too. And that's why she's following him around all night holding his hand. Mm. They know the relationship's not secure. So that's it. That's separate. It, that's it separate. is. So, yeah. So maybe we could go back and say, if a ban- if fear of abandonment is at the core is at your core story then you're going to want to work on that no matter how awesome your relationship is and i say that as a person fear of abandonment is one of my core stories it is also one of the core stories of most of the people i wind up working with i think a lot of us mm-hmm. have this mm-hmm. it's worth working on that for yourself no matter what relationship structure you've chosen mm-hmm. but co-creating healthy invested relationships is effortful. It just is. So Mm -hmm. if you're not getting that level of effort from your partner, you may not be in the right relationship or you may need to fully renegotiate the relationship. And renegotiating into consensual non-monogamy in order to try to save a relationship does not work. It just just doesn't work. Yeah. No matter what's happening, your relationship needs to be reciprocal in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. It the even in a really highly negotiated um, power dynamic relationship, I still ask my clients like, "Well, so what are you getting out of it? Like, is your is your mm-hmm. dominant person is are they are they deeply caring for you? Are they containing mm-hmm. you, you in a way that feels really soulfully good? Right, like really good. There there has to be reciprocation. That's the perfect word for it, Elle. Mm-hmm. So, listener question number four reclamation sex is such a mindfuck. How do I be okay with it? Some folks are not familiar with this term. Do you want to clarify what reclamation sex is? Well, I want to hear from you because when I <laughs> when I use the word reclamation sex, I have traditionally been thinking about the kind of sex that is, um, so my partner comes back from being with someone else, they're on a date, and I have that like super electric sex with them. It's almost like makeup sex, but we didn't have a fight. I just know that they were with someone else. (laughs) And I reclaim our bond. I'm like, yeah, let's get it. And I love it. So I think it's a mindfuck, but a good one. But I'm guessing that this listener has a different take on it. So what's your take on this? So my take is, this is interesting. I never use the term. I, I've never used the term, but I've seen it used. And I, I identify with what you're saying, Jolie, because I feel the same way. But I think it depends on really what the source and the root of your emotions is coming from. So if I 
at my heart get joy and happiness knowing that my partner just got somebody else off and had a good time Mm -hmm. and now he's back and now we get to have a good time that makes me happy but compersion all over the place exact compersion is the word that I like to use Um, but for people that feel like they have to reclaim their partner's intimacy by being the most recent person to have sex with them that sounds stressful yes yeah. So I would encourage whoever's listening to not like you, you just heard me say it that way, but don't think of it that way because you're not reclaiming your partner or claiming anyone by being the most recent person to have sex with them. And that's actually kind of a really kind of a rapey misogynist way to think about like, oh, I've been inside someone. So therefore I am closer to them. It feels more effective to just pee on their leg. I, I think yeah. that would be <laughs> let's just do that. I, I think I think I would do that. I yeah. I mean, in all seriousness, I don't use the word reclamation sex because it's got its root word is claim. And claim yes. has such white supremacist nonsense, like colonizer energy around it. I don't find it to be helpful. So mm-hmm. yeah, I just use I want to have compersive sex. My compersive partner comes back sex. and I'm into it and I go for it. And mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever come home from a date and not had sex again. Because there's energy there. There's so much energy there. Um, Mm -hmm. And I love that. That's one of the reasons I think that we've been able to make this work so long is that it raises the energy level in our household rather than depresses it. Mm -hmm. Now, that said, that doesn't mean it'll stay that way forever. My partner is 10 years older than me. Um, I am fully committed to the fact that six months after we got married, he was diagnosed with MS. And while he is Mm. so healthy and uh, I'm so lucky... I know that we probably will have some very challenging times ahead at some point. Multiple sclerosis. Multiple sclerosis. Yep, exactly. And we could have some really tough stuff coming up. And that may mean that that kind of energy, that sort of of zhuzh that I get might not be there anymore. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I would hate to have like based my, my ownership of him or his of me. Like I would hate to have a relationship that was based around that because... I think it would really threaten our ability to have an open relationship as things progress and, and maybe not as as like um, sweet and easy as they are right now. I mean, as sweet mm-hmm. as, and easy as anything can be with seven teenagers. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that's the other thing. You have seven teenagers in the house. Yeah, we actually five live here full time. One lives with his mom and one has her own house. So oh my God. Uh, I it- have one child. One <laughs> child. I don't know how. how. Um. It's trippy. It is. <laughs> You're a really impressive person and you're great at multitasking. Um, I want to say one last thing on the sex with a partner after they've had sex with another partner. If you are just like kind of a sensitive germaphobe like me where you don't want to like oh yeah, smell or taste condom or someone else's body, that's totally reasonable. Mm-hmm. I've asked partners before, like, can you please be like showered and home by this time? Yep. And change the you sheets. Know. Oh, like change, whatever. Like, exactly. Cha- totally. Yeah. Change the sheets, showered, changed. I And I, I have negotiated this. So I have had partners that I have fluid bonded to um, and, and had different agreements, but then everybody has to have that conversation. So now it's it's not just me having that conversation with my home par- my home base partner, but also having that conversation in both ways because I like for the partner I'm bringing home, you know, like if I'm bringing some part of them home, I like them to know that. I don't want to mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like that's that's a, a level of intimacy too. Like I don't mm-hmm. automatically share a part of them. The same with the stories. I negotiate how much of it, how much of our sexual escapades are okay to share. How do you like that to be held? And that's right. That's a complex, you know, dynamic to work out. And also, that's the other thing. Somebody asked me once about how do you negotiate talking about the sex you have with other people, and I say, well, I, me and Brian was his name. We didn't go into detail about it because I think we both felt like that would be disrespectful to the other person. Like without their consent mm-hmm. to be talking about the sex that they were having. And I have negotiated with some partners because we actually all like it. We're like, yeah, let's let's talk yeah. about it. Let's use that energy. And in fact, right. the partner I have right now, that's that like my 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 um my girlfriend and I talked about it and we're like, Yeah, sure, that's great. You we can talk to our other partners about it to the degree that feels appropriate for that relationship. And and here's the trick. And let's check in about that every couple months. Mm-hmm. So that that doesn't get out of hand or become problematic and we feel like we can't bring it up. 
anything in consensual non-monogamy, consent must be ongoing. So if we <laughs> if we want it to continue to be consensual non-monogamy, remember that we're always in a negotiation with all, all of our partners. Mm-hmm. That's true. And that's hot too. It's nice. Yeah. It's fun when you can talk about little things, but uh, in detail, we didn't, but I can see how if it's cool for everyone, then it can go be, for it. Yeah. It can be great. And you know, my partner, spicy. yeah, really spicy. <laughs> and my partner's really, really shy. My home, my home base partner is a really mm-hmm. shy dude. And, um, he tends to not date very much. He's, he's just shy and, um, he's amazing, but yeah, he doesn't. So when I have negotiated that kind of sharing, he can actually get some of the same energy I get, even though he's not as much into like going out and meeting people and certainly not randomly. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, 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 again, multiplies the energy rather than dividing it. We're, that's the goal for us is how do we increase energy rather than decrease it? Mm-hmm. I love that. Everything, I think everything that has or was alive makes and uses energy. So how do we use that energy? Right. So let's take another break. Hey there. Do you want to help people and make money doing it? Becoming a coach might be your ticket. The coaching industry is currently filled with a lot of straight white coaches and working with straight white people who have the privilege to hire them. The coaching guild is changing that. The coaching guild is looking for diverse people with diverse experiences and backgrounds who want to get university level training to become a coach. This is not a shortcut certification program. This is intense training for the real world. They are looking for the artists, the rebels, and the wild ones. You can change the world one client at a time and make money doing it. Visit www.thecoachingguild.com. Do you have a sensitive vulva or vagina? Me too. People with vaginas will experience at least one yeast infection in their lifetime, and many folks like myself get them every time the seasons change. As someone who relies on their vaginal health for their personal and professional wellness, I use Momotaro Apotheca solutions for preventing bacterial vaginosis or yeast infection. Their products also serve urinary tract infections, postpartum care issues, aftercare, and general irritation from sex, clothing, and exercise. I love these things. I use them to shorten my healing time or prevent irritation. Use Stripper Writer for a discount code and check out their affiliated CBD products at Oshihana.com. That's MomotaroApotheca.com and Oshihana.com. Welcome back to They Talk Sex podcast. We're talking to Dr. Jolie Hamilton. She teaches all kinds of things, intimacy, communication skills, kink, BDSM. She also teaches psychology. And we're talking about jealousy in relationships. So earlier I mentioned the uh, Willow Smith, Jada will smith thing about their kid coming out as open or so this is funny this is so funny i'm not going to get sued for saying this because i'm small potatoes compared to the smiths but (laughs) about 10 years ago i remember some of my friends um who like work in entertainment uh they're not like millionaire celebrities but they work in entertainment and some of them had worked around jada and they were like oh you know will and jada are open right but it's just not okay for them to say that to the world so they keep it quiet because they have to yep yep and I was like oh I mean that could be just gossip but I have high-end clients I I have high-end California-based clients let's and that's a thing they got to keep it quiet yep they don't talk about it publicly and because because what can happen if you talk about this publicly (sighs) You can lose your kids. You can lose your kids. You can lose your job. You can lose respect in your community. You can write off. I completely wrote off my political career. Like I had, I had some small aspirations for like, well, what, what would that be like? I love public speaking. I love policy. What would that be like? And I knew when I decided to publicly claim this relationship style, I was like, oh, I can't even run locally. Like not even for like mayor. (laughs) Wow. Not where you live. Not where I live. I live in a small town in Western Massachusetts and that just wasn't going to fly. It was yeah. a conscious decision. It People forget sometimes how much other people care about what we do in our bedrooms. Um, yes. It, 
and I don't even, I mean, I live in Massachusetts. It's a generally liberal place, but yeah, it's um, not when it comes to sex sometimes. Exactly. And we don't even have our, I mean, the sex education in our schools is tragic, tragic. Yeah. Yes. We know that yeah. lots of Americans know that That's yeah. for sure. For sure. So I'm looking at this BBC.com uh, article from earlier in this year. They call it ethical non-monogamy. Ethical non-monogamy, the rise of multi-partner relationships. And they do this profile of a triad of dads in, uh, they're in San Diego. Oh, yeah. I know them. Yeah. You know them. Well, I've been following their stuff for a while. They have two okay. kids, right? Two two kids by yeah. surrogacy. Yeah. Yes. You're familiar. Okay. So they said that they faced death threats for coming out well one of them says he faced death threats for coming out as gay while teaching at a university in virginia uh and then later on he says he he couldn't have imagined that he would cohabitate and have kids with um two other men and then deal with all the bullshit that comes with that so it says no men in three-way relationships have ever been granted joint parenting rights to a child before in California or possibly anywhere in the U.S. So these guys advocated really hard explaining, quote, why it was so important and necessary for us to have our names on the birth certificate. So the judge ended up granting all three parenting rights to the first child that was born in 2017. They wrote a book about it called Three Dads and a Baby Adventures in Modern Parenting. Um. So I just like to bring up, you know, little profiles like this where it's new, it's pushing on a lot of people's edges, and they were more successful arguably because they're three whitish men. Yeah, they have a lot of privilege. One of them's a doctor. They've, they've, mm -hmm. yeah, they had a lot of privilege. They had access to what they needed. And let's not mm -hmm. forget that. I know you know this. We didn't invent non-monogamy or complex no. family systems we just try to legalize things when we have like when when people start experiencing ramifications from the legal system then we seek to address that issue but then we make rules that can actually get in the way it's really messy i so i compulsory monogamy is a thing in our culture elizabeth emmons wrote sort of the, the key paper for that if people are interested in it um elizabeth emmons emmons e-m-e-m and S. Okay. Uh, the history of non-monogamy, it says in this article, it says in 2016, a survey of nearly 9,000 single U.S. adults showed that one in five had previously been in consensually non-monogamous relationship. Okay, so there they use the turn of phrase consensually. And then a Canadian survey came up with roughly the same numbers a year later. Uh, Justin LeMiller, who we like, he's a social psychologist and sexologist yeah yeah sex educator yeah There's he's at the things. kinsey institute yeah he teaches a lot he says something else we've seen in the last decade is that google searches for the terms polyamory and open relationships have increased which demonstrates that there's more interest in the topic um when we think about family structures and imagine how they were before christianity mm. Uh, I mean, we really don't know, but a lot of historians will say that people had dynamic, complex, multifaceted relationships with each other that did not fit the nuclear model that we have been forced to engage in. Yeah, we have no reason to believe that the that the structure that has been um, not just enforced, but also rewarded, that this particular structure is natural or normal but there is some evolutionary psychology research that points to the idea that perhaps monogamy could maybe be evolutionary advantageous but even then it doesn't prove anything we could I think that was for nesting though not just sex ex exactly there's the thing <laughs> most of the time we forget that they're talking about raising children not all the other reasons humans have sex or all the right. other reasons. So to, to clarify, yeah, to clarify, being monogamous to some people might be living together and having like a child or building their nest together. And that's kind of what Brian and I were doing until we were including other people. 
but we weren't sexually monogamous. We were nesting monogamous. Yes. And a lot of people really kind of want that. Yeah. Because you want to feel safe at home and still get to play. I'm doing it now. So when um, when I went through the, the rougher breakup of my life, um, we mm. made a conscious decision not to have any other adults move into our home until our youngest children um, were grown. And I, so our youngest is now 14. And so that's just a few years away now. Um, and I don't, we'll renegotiate at that point. We have a, we have a date on the calendar already, but mm. it was intentional. And it was because this culture does not support the complex dynamic relating that happens when we have more than one adult living in the house. That's unfortunate mm -hmm. because it takes a lot to raise children. Mm -hmm. It would be great if it, if I had felt supported in that and hadn't felt like I was constantly fighting the back pressure of a culture, it would have been a lot easier to access all the delicious and amazing parts of having three adults here raising kids. I love, there were parts of it I absolutely loved. It was amazing, mm -hmm. but we were constantly- You don't hurt for childcare. Childcare, sharing Cooking. things. It, yeah. Staying up at night and just hanging out, rubbing each other's feet and talking about like how, how we want to raise these wild people that are living in our house that was amazing um but more often than not the conversations would sort of uh, spiral off into the pains that each of us was feeling dealing with a cultural reality of not being accepted and that mm. made it really hard to enjoy the benefits mm. so i'm so glad we're talking about this um because you and i both just want to encourage people to build the relationships that serve them exactly Exactly. Right. There's no right. There's no wrong. You want it to be custom designed for you. Right. So what are some of the services you offer? So I work with um, individuals because sometimes only one person in a relationship is, is, you know, up for doing their work. But I also work with couples or people who are in multi-person um, relationships that look any number of ways to, to build their relationship agreements to actively co-create agreements. I do one day processes, um, a VIP day where people can just sit down and co-create their agreement that works for them. Um, I do check-ins and I also do a one year program with people who are really up-leveling their relating. This is like, this is a deep dive into what does it take to make an, in, what I call an individuation relationship. This is a relationship hmm. where you prioritize growth over comfort. It's not for everybody. So I take people on a year-long process where we really, we actively engage in the, the dynamics of making that happen. And the reason it's a year long is because people need to have stuff happen in their life. You can't just do your relationship work when everything's hunky-dory. That is such an old-fashioned phrase. <laughs> you have to, you have to dig Dandy. in when it's messy. And so I mm -hmm. take people on for a long period of time so that we can go through the mess together and see where their strengths and weaknesses are. Oof. Well, thank you for your work. Uh, what are some resources that have been helpful for you that you'd like to share? Oh, goodness. Okay. <laughs> Dr. Liz Powell's book on building open relationships is my go-to now to hand people and just say, you know, if you don't know what you want yet, read this book and at least familiarize yourself with some of the options, with what's out there. From there, I actually like for people to go on to podcasts and listen to real people sharing their stories. Um, that has taught me more than anything, listening to real people's stories. How does it really go? Because you can have all of the all of the information about how we want things to go, but then we listen to, oh, right. And then <laughs> this can undermine an agreement or this could happen. That can help you imagine. Your imagination is your best tool. What you cannot imagine, you cannot prepare for. So get out there and listen to people's stories for real. That's a good one. Uh, and something I like to ask all of my guests, do you have any sex tips for our audience? Okay, I have one. This is my favorite yes. thing in the whole world. And I know we have done this. You were in a class with me once and we did this. Um, <gasps> go to your partner. And, and sit down, each of you with an index card, set a timer for 60 seconds, and define what is sex. Write down your definitions. Mm. The end of 60 Ooh. seconds, compare them. You are instantly going to be aware of where your differences are, and now you have a conversation starter. 
the best sex will happen when you can talk about what sex is for you. And I know you, Elle, encourage people to think way past patriarchal Mm -hmm. (laughs) bullshit, you know, (laughs) rules around what sex is. Mm-hmm. Get into cre- co-creating a vocabulary of sex for you and mm-hmm. your partners, and that will light everything up. Mm. Oh, I love that. Oh, thank you for reminding me about that. It's a good one. It's a good one. Uh, thank you so much for all of your knowledge and insight and candor. So go to JolieHamilton.com. Her book is Project Relationship. She also has a podcast. It's like 30-minute, yeah. shorter episodes, you and your partner talking about relationship stuff. Yeah, we just get up. really transparent. I think a lot of people who talk about relationships don't share the their dirty laundry and the, and the messes of their yes. own. Yes. You know, that's why I wanted to start podcasting, why I started years ago, because I saw other sexuality professionals and I understand they had a limit and like... Mm-hmm what they're allowed to talk about. But I'm like, I want to hear about you. Like, exactly. I want to learn from you. So I'm going to talk about my stuff because <laughs> people have learned from me. So thank you for teaching and being transparent about your relationship stuff. Yeah. And my partner's kind of, he's he's a he's a geek. He has a physics degree and he's in IT. It's nice to hear from like a, a cis guy who's thinking about his feelings in relating. It's just, yeah. you know, we don't get Hot. enough of that. So yeah. Yeah. Hot. Yeah. <laughs> God. I have a crush on a person who told me they read um, one of my articles and it made them cry. And I was immediately like more attracted to them. Oh, yeah. For, That'd do it. First of all, my <laughs> ego. I was like, oh, you like my work. And then secondly, I was like, you cry. You're a man that cries. Yeah. I mean, hey, dudes, practice your crying skills. It works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Get get a cute dog in your Tinder and also mention that you're not afraid to cry. Yeah. And, and <laughs> practice like, it. Be like, honest. Go watch all the sad movies and just practice letting yourself feel. <laughs> and if that doesn't work, pinch the inside of your arm. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Totally um, fine. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Jolie. Um, thank you for having me. It's really it's a pleasure to talk to you, I, to spend time with you, and I'm so so excited to have you back at the game and podcasting again, so that I can listen more. <laughs> Heck yeah. Well, hell yeah! I can't wait to see you again in person. Yes. Can I give you a hug? That's so real. See, we negotiated that right there in real time. Yes. All right, until next time. Thanks, everyone. 